and maybe see the things that they're told are bad about the food. And then we're not really told what's good about the food unless it's a quote unquote superfood like kale. And then you're like, I know kale is awesome, but I don't know why, but I know it's awesome. Um, and I know bananas are bad. And I think it's because of the sugar, but we're not told that, hey, the sugar might actually be the whole point of eating the banana. <laughs> There is a science behind when and how we eat. And in this episode, you're going to meet Holly Samuel. Holly is a registered dietitian and the amazing podcast host behind Holly Fueled Nutrition. If you haven't checked out her podcast yet, you're definitely going to want to by the end of this. She talks about all things fuel, food, and how to get the best performance of our bodies. And she does a phenomenal job. So here's the episode with Holly Samuel. I can't wait for you to check out this episode and the official start of season four. And if you're new here, welcome to the Behind the Sweat podcast produced by Brunch Running. We're so excited that you've decided to tune in and check out our podcast. I'm Alex Weissner, your host, and here is my conversation with Holly Samuel. So I've been listening to your podcast for you started, what, almost three years ago now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like two and a half years. And I feel like for me, one of the things that really attracted me was the way you talk about nutrition for athletes. And we're talking about everyday athletes where, where for so long I feel like nutrition wasn't talked about. It was like, go out for a run, go do this workout. And if you were going to some gyms where they weren't nutritionists, they would be like, eat rice and chicken and broccoli, and that's all you can eat. And you're just like, that's a little boring. So what sparked your interest in nutrition? And, you know, introduce yourself to us a little bit. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I'm I'm a Holly. Um, yeah, I think <clears throat> I think it's so funny. If you talk to a lot of dietitians, I think some of us will fall into the category that I'll describe, which is like oh, I kind of wanted to learn about nutrition for selfish reasons. Like I wanted to learn how to use it, you know, kind of to my detriment in hindsight. Like I wanted to be the healthiest and, you know, have the best body composition and, you know, kind of use it that way. And it was a bit out of disorder. Um, and I actually went to school to be a doctor. Um, like I went in pre-med and then I started learning about, you know, what that meant and that a lot of that path was treating, you know, patients with medicine, um, you know, learning about different symptoms and diagnoses. And that was cool. But I was like, oh, it's just not what I thought it was going to be. Um, and my advisor at the time was an advisor for um, the nutrition program and for our pre-medical program at the University of New Hampshire. Um, shout out to Dr. Lockwood. And she was like, you know, I think you would probably better suited for nutrition. I think this is kind of what you're looking for. So it was kind of both of those things. Um, and it ended up being a great fit and kind of through learning more about nutrition and just growing up and like going through my own journey with food and body image, you know, it kind of turned into totally different than where it started, um, where I'm helping people with their relationships with food. I'm helping people learn to feel their bodies. Um, I started running kind of in this process. So selfishly, I was like, oh, sports nutrition would be really good for me to learn about for my own performance. And actually, maybe this is something that I want to help people with. Um, but also starting to realize that a lot of athletes don't have great body image or relationship with food either. So that's kind of what morphed into 
where I am now. Um, long story long. <laughs> no, I love that. And I think like one thing that I want to touch on is that body image and that I think for so many people, especially athletes, there's this like, it's like this dual personality in your workout where you're like, you're trying to strive for performance and you're also trying to strive for aesthetics. And in some aspects of sport, it's very important to have those certain aesthetics and certain sports are known for having a certain aesthetics. So how is that something that you really approach with the athletes that you work with? Yeah. And I think that's kind of how I started into running. I was like, oh, running will help me, you know, be smaller essentially. Um, you know, and then it really escalated quickly from there. And I was like, oh, I actually love running for reasons that have nothing to do with body composition. Um, and I would still run even if it didn't do, you know, whatever it's doing to my body composition. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, and I actually, we touched on this offline a little bit in the beginning about how I grew up in New Jersey on a horse farm. Um, so my first sport of choice was like equestrian and that is a sport where, yeah, your performance is really important. It's a really challenging sport, but how you look on the horse is something that is judged in competition. Um, so eating disorders are actually really prevalent in that world. Um, and I think they are also in running kind of for similar reasons. Um, I was lucky that I didn't have like an environment that really nurtured that, you know, bad side of the sport, which is very rare that I'm now learning about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's these two types of nutrition, like there's nutrition for body composition and kind of like aesthetics. Um, like if you think of bikini competitions or bodybuilding competitions where you're trying to get the best like appearance, um, secondary or primary and your secondary is performance. Um, and then we have sports like, you know, maybe running, especially at the elite level, um, and, you know, basketball, football, a lot of these other sports where performance is primary, you know, and appearance is kind of secondary. Um, but what gets mixed up is a lot of people use kind of appearance nutrition and think it's going to improve performance. And that's just not true. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, it can almost be the opposite. Um, you know, and I always kind of say, hey, the people on stage at these like body, you know, building or bikini competitions, they're not going to have the best performance compared to someone who's trying to lift a lot of weights and isn't trying to achieve that same perfection, like of aesthetic, um, because the nutrition's just simply different. Um, so when I'm working with runners who maybe like myself got into running for aesthetic reasons, um, and then it shifted to, well, now I really care about my performance and my time on the clock and I want to get faster and I don't really care that much about appearance, you know, anymore. That's where it's like, okay, we have to kind of make sure we're using the right nutrition approaches to meet your goals. And I feel like, oh, I think there's so much there to talk about. <laughs> well, and I feel like, especially as female athletes, there's always, no matter like, and it's probably starts like, in high school sports, even that you're starting to worry about what you're eating, but you're not thinking about it from that perspective. I know I was never thinking about is what I'm eating affecting my performance when I was like limiting food and calories and obsessed with calorie counting in like high school. Where you're like, I want to be smaller instead of like, well, if I eat, maybe that would have helped me be better. Um, mm -hmm. And I think for so many women that like you have to, it comes with time of getting that acceptance of I need to eat or you're not going to ever hit those goals. 
Yeah. And like how you look when you're performing really well may not line up with how you think you should look to perform well. And that I think is really hard um, because I think, and this is a deep subject, but I think, you know, our society sets us up to be like, okay, you must be small and thin and perfect. And if you are an athlete, you also have to be performing, you know, at the top of your game. And it's like, those things probably don't really go hand in hand. Um, And what's sad is like that idea is very much preached at by coaches, you know, and by media. If you look at, you know, fitness models, they're doing fit things, they're doing sporty things, and they look like fitness models. But those are pictures, you know, (laughs) those aren't necessarily running a marathon. (laughs) Exactly. Like if you are giving your all, I was just talking to my group coaching program about this, because we were talking about how race photos can be super triggering to Mm -hmm. bad body image thoughts. Like if you're giving your all at the end of a marathon, like that's probably not going to look like sunshine and rainbows, you know, on a picture. Like those pictures are always like, you know, you probably look like you're in a lot of pain and like you're giving your all. It'd be like taking a picture of someone when they're in labor giving birth. Like they're not going to look like an angel, you know, with their makeup perfectly done, um, you know, for the most part. So it's, it's kind of a funny conversation, but we know these things when we talk about it, but a lot of us, you know, kind of get lost in the weeds. (laughs) I love that analogy, but it's true. Like, it's like, if you're working really hard and you're like, we've all been there, you see the raceway and you're like, you're like, what am I doing with my face? You're like, what was I thinking? But I think, yeah, but it's, it is where I think there's so much of, you know, it goes into that overall mindset when we are training and even when we're just out for like a general run or workout of how are we preparing our bodies to do know, is it for going for a bike ride, for going for a walk, for going for that run, or even getting in the gym and lifting? Like, if you're not showing up for your body with that nutrition, you know, it doesn't work. So what is something that you recommend that we should be doing before we do any kind of workout in the morning? Yeah, if you're a morning morning workouter, um, and obviously this applies to later in the day too, but yeah, you should definitely be eating something before you do a workout a run, strength training, bike, whatever it is, is just 30 minutes, easy run. Do I still need to eat? Yes, you do. Um, basically if you're going to go and get your heart rate up in any capacity, that is more than like, you know, walking around the house. (laughs) Um, you know, you really need to eat something and I recommend people eat something within an hour of waking, even if they're not going to work out. Um, but typically, you know, simple carbohydrates, um, tend to digest really quickly. And if you're a runner, um, Other exercises, this is still important, but I think it applies even more to running because you're physically jostling your system around by like jumping up and down over and over again, moving forward. Um, But simple carbohydrates are going to digest really quickly. If you have a lot of fat, protein, or fiber um, in there, you know, that was in your pre-run meal, that's going to take probably a few hours to digest. And when you do start running, that blood shunts away from your gut and it goes to your working muscles. Um, so your gut's not really, you know, doing its thing. So if there's anything left over in it that hasn't been digested, it's probably going to come up or it's going to go down (laughs) straight through you. Um, and you're going to end up in the bushes somewhere or needing a bathroom. So, um, and that's another thing where, you know, in my world of sports nutrition, which, you know, if you're someone who exercises on some sort of schedule and you have some sort of fitness goal, like, I would identify you as an athlete. I know a lot of people might be like, what? I'm not an athlete. I'm not competing. I'm not winning races. But 
you know, if you do have a goal, if you're exercising on a schedule, you're an athlete and therefore sports nutrition applies to you. Um, so, you know, simple carbohydrates, that's like, you know, some juice, a banana, some dates, a pop tart, a graham cracker. It's these foods that diet culture tells us are bad. (laughs) Um, and these are foods that I talk about all the time with my clients. Um, so that can also be like a hard thing to unlearn if you're like, but I didn't think I was supposed to have sugar. Well, actually, if you have sugar before your workout, it's going to give you the most energy. And then you're going to be able to use that for energy and get more out of your workout than trying to burn your own fat or muscle stores and then really end up breaking down over time um, and not getting the most out of yourself, which is just what we see in research. There's so much I want to dissect there, but especially like, can we somehow stop making the banana a bad thing? I feel like I talk to so many people. They're like, I can't eat bananas. There's too much sugar in a banana. I'm like, but do you know how good a banana is for you? I know. I know. I'm like, I, it's, I think it's easy for like me. It's my, I talk about it all day long. It's my, you know, my career and my life to see a banana or see any food and be like, okay, like I know the amount of calories in it. I know the macronutrient breakdown. I know the micronutrient breakdown. I know it's a good source of potassium. I know it's got some fiber. I know it's going to digest quickly, simple source of carbohydrates. But I think a lot of people can look at food and maybe see the things that they're told are bad about the food. And then we're not really told what's good about the food unless it's a quote unquote superfood like kale. And then you're like, I know kale is awesome, but I don't know why, but I know it's awesome. Um, And I know bananas are bad. And I think it's because of the sugar, but we're not told that, hey, the sugar might actually be the whole point of eating the banana. (laughs) That will help you. And I think that's a good segue into like during a workout, what's kind of your advice on a timeframe of how often someone should be fueling consistently for a workout. Like if you're going out for 30 minutes, you know, should you be bringing extra electrolytes? Do you need snacks? Or is it like really at 60 minutes where you should really start focusing on bringing along those extra snacks for, for the adventure? Yeah, I have some background to this. So basically, um, whether you're male or female, but, um, you know, or anywhere on the gender spectrum, but if you are, you know, cis female, your hormone profile is going to be like touchier um, and a little bit more reactive to change faster than someone who is cis male. Um, And that basically means that, you know, if you are maybe a little bit under fueled, maybe you didn't eat enough and maybe, or maybe you're doing a diet, this could be intentional, this could be unintentional, you know, your body is probably going to have more risk and negative reaction to that faster. And you're going to know it's a bad idea sooner (laughs) than if you are male. Um, their hormone cycles are just a little bit more resilient um, because they're never expected to carry a child biologically. Um, So, you know, what that basically means is that if you are fed, like when we see a fed athlete, especially female, um, you are going to react better to stress. So, and adapt better to stress. So what that means is, you know, if you're going out for a 30 minute workout you're going out for a two hour workout. Um, you know, if you bring fuel or are going into that workout, having eaten something, eat something words, um, (laughs) then you are, it's early. Yeah. Then you are going to, um, you know, adapt better to stress and that workout is your stress. So you are going to get more out of your workout and recover better is what I'm trying to say. So we technically don't really see the, need to fuel during a workout until it's an hour or longer. 
But that being said, if you do, it's not going to hurt you. <laughs> you know, if you do fuel for something shorter, it's not going to hurt you. Um, but basically, if you're looking at, you know, what I would consider like a long run, quote unquote, or a long workout, that is if you're doing something 60 minutes or longer continuously. Um, and that is where you're going to get the most benefit out of bringing fuel with you. And again, we want simple carbohydrates. So, you know, sugar, <laughs> um, you know, things like your gels, your chews, maybe Sour Patch Kids. People can do real food, but that becomes a little bit harder to get in the recommendations um, because you'd have to like be running with a bunch of bananas and that might be kind of hard. <laughs> um, but Typically, we want to have 20 to 40 grams of carbohydrates, like every 30 to 40 minutes or so, starting out the 30 to 40 minute mark of that workout and on from there. And that's probably going to feel like you being pretty early into your workout going, I don't really feel like I need this gel. I'm not that hungry yet. I don't really want to have it. I'll just wait. But no, you should really start early and often. That helps keep our glycogen stores topped off so that we're not kind of depleting them too early and then bonking later in the workout. And it also keeps your blood sugar stable so that you can perform. And that also means that your brain has glucose going to it. So it's not sending you red flags as often going, please stop, please stop, please stop. So that's another trick. If you're like in a log run or a race or something, and those negative thoughts start to get really loud, it could be time to fuel. Even if it's like early, it could be time to fuel. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. I feel like that, because so many times it is like, you're like, well, I'm just that hungry. I haven't been going that long. Like, but it's one of those things where I feel like if you're running a marathon, you need to start earlier with that, like with your preparedness, because if you're not fueling early on, like you said, you're going to hit that wall and then bonk. I have the Coros pace too, and I have it set so that uh, we're twinning to yeah. like when I'm at apex yeah. um to like every 15 minutes I'm like something's got to go into my body like out on those long yeah. runs and I think like having those reminders like that's a great reminder that we need to come prepare for what's to come versus like reacting once we're already there and then you're kind of starting from a deficit right yeah absolutely like we want to keep we want to keep our primary fuel source when we're running, which is carbohydrates. That's either going to be coming from what you're eating or from your glycogen stores. We want to keep those as topped off as possible so that your body is able to have like an efficient source of energy. Because I know the argument is, well, for long stuff, don't we just burn fat for fuel? And isn't that better? Yes, if you do, we're burning fat right now. You're burning fat right now listening to this. Um, we're burning fat while we're running all the time. It's kind of our low and slow gear. Um, but the misconception is yes, a, like a unit to put it simply of fat does break down into more ATP or energy than a unit of carbohydrate does, but it doesn't like work as quickly. <laughs> um, so you're able to break down a lot more carbohydrate and get more ATP out of that more efficiently and quickly for like one cycle of a unit of fat breaking down. So yeah, we're burning fat for fuel, but you're also burning fat for fuel when you smack into the wall and you can't run as fast anymore at the end of a marathon. So we want to avoid only burning fat for fuel. Yes, even in people who are very well fat adapted, this is still true in research. It's not going to make us perform better compared to being carbohydrate adapted. Um, so yeah, you do want to start we want to start like basically we want to keep the bucket full of water before the bucket's empty. <laughs> well, and it's like you know, logically it makes sense. And I think sometimes it is like you just get your own way of saying like, oh, but I'm okay. 
I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that even transitions into my next question is that recovery process is that so often I feel like you get done and then you're just like exhausted. You're like, what do I do? Let me just like lay down. Or, you know, during the week on training runs, it's like, oh, I now I've got to go pick up the kids. I've got to go to work, all these things, or I have this going on. And how should we be really fueling after our runs and kind of aiding in our recovery so that our bodies can show up again the next day? Yeah, that's such an important like conversation. Um, like, and this is where I'm a huge fan of like intuitive eating and part of intuitive eating is to eat out of self-care. And that's kind of where sports nutrition 101 falls under because a lot of the times when we should be eating as athletes, you might not be super hungry. (laughs) So it, it might not feel like honoring your hunger cues. It might look more like, oh, I'm eating because I know I should. Um, which is probably during a run because a lot of us don't really want to take gels every 30 minutes, um, you know, or eating something at four in the morning before your run, even though you're like, I am not hungry. I don't want to eat anything. It's also super common to not have an appetite after a workout. Um, and that can happen for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is that again, your, your blood's kind of shunted away from your gut. It's into all your muscles that just worked really hard. So your stomach is not really getting the memo to release the ghrelin hunger hormone to signal signal to you, Hey, I'm hungry. Um, so it's more of a force feeding. What one of my colleagues, her name's Stevie Smith. Um, she's a fantastic dietitian and athlete, but she, yeah, she calls them business feedings. Um, which I really like because it is, it's a business feeding. Like we're doing this because we know we should not because we're hungry. So Post-workout, we do want to get in a good dose of protein. We also want to make sure we're getting in carbohydrates to replenish those glycogen stores. Again, we're keeping the bucket full before it gets empty um, and trying to keep those topped off so that you can go like train again the next day or the day after. So we really kind of want to hit both of those categories. Um, Really within 30 to 60 minutes post-workout, I kind of like to treat sports nutrition for like runs as like, if you think of a bookshelf with a bunch of books on it, it's like the pre-workout fuel is like this bookend. And then the run is like all the books. And then the other bookend is your post-workout nutrition. And it's not complete until they're all there. (laughs) Um, So, you know, looking at that, I mean, you could, you know, do a protein shake and then take a shower and then have a complete meal that has carbohydrates in it. You could do a smoothie with protein in it or Greek yogurt or some other protein source and put a bunch of fruit in there. So you're getting it all in one dose, but there's a lot of ways you can go about doing that too. Yeah. How do you feel about pancakes? Pancake, are they a good post-run meal? Pancakes are good, period. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, pancakes are great. They, they're going to contribute to the carbohydrate you know, situation, um, of that post-workout, like kind of meal formula. Um, you know, you'd want to make sure you have some sort of protein source with them. You could do like the Kodiak pancakes that have protein in them. You could do something protein E on the side, like eggs or a protein shake or something like that. No, I love it. So one thing you talked about was macros. Can you describe what macros are and I feel like it has also been in the past couple of years, really gained popularity, start tracking your macros. Mm-hmm. What's the hashtag? Like if it fits your macros. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's like, this is where I'm like, macronutrient is like, 
it's a noun. Like it's just a very basic scientific term for new, like for nutrition science. Um, and now it's kind of been like, you know, warped into something else that could mean something negative um, from a diet culture standpoint. But just like calories, like calories are a measurement of energy, which is kind of positive when mm-hmm. you think of it that way. But when it's like calories, they're those things. What's the meme? It's like, they're those things in your closet that sew your clothes smaller overnight. It's like, God, that's not what they are. (laughs) Um, Like, it's just a basic noun of terminology. So yeah, macros, we've got um, actually to kind of segue is perfect. Calories, unit of energy, macros, basically what make up calories. And those are carbohydrates, protein, fat, and technically alcohol. Um, carbs have four calories per gram, protein has four calories per gram, fat has nine calories per gram, and alcohol has seven calories per gram. So, um, you know, basically these things all do different things for us. Carbohydrates give us our main source of energy. Um, protein helps keep us full and rebuild muscle tissue and basically just as a building block for a lot of things in the body. Um, fat helps us make hormones and helps keep us full and is a more slow go unit of energy um, and does a lot of other things for us too. And then alcohol honestly doesn't do much for us, but it does exist. Um, <laughs> and basically they're all important. They just all do slightly different things. So I think the like counting macros phenomenon you know, is another way to count calories, but we're counting the type of calories, if that makes sense. Um, A lot of people will know like how many grams of protein they're supposed to eat in a day or what the percentage of calories is supposed to come from protein. I think that's how my fitness pal breaks it down, which is a really popular app to use for this phenomenon. Um, And I think that it's not inherently bad to count anything. Um, I think what makes it problematic and can lead to disorder in a lot of people without really you having any say about it kind of sneaks up on you is if you're using it as a form of like restriction, like I need to meet this goal or stay under it versus like, I need to at least meet this goal and then maybe go over it. And that's okay. That's the whole goal. Um, so I mean, do I use it with some of my clients and some of my programs? Sure. If I'm like, hey, I need you to carb load properly before this marathon, it's only three or four days, you can do it. And I need you to hit 600 grams of carbohydrates per day. There's nothing intuitive about that. So you probably will benefit from tracking that a little bit and doing some math to prepare properly. And it's short term, you know, that might be a helpful tool. But I would never use it to say, hey, I need you to eat, you know, under this amount of carbohydrates per day because you you keep overeating carbohydrates. That's just not effective and it can lead to other problems. So let's talk about that because I know for some athletes that is a big thing. Like where all of a sudden you're like, you look and you're like, part of your performance reasonings are because you're not getting enough carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. In that case, what is kind of like your piece of advice of like helping that person change their mindset to say, you need, if you want to see those goals, you need to eat more carbs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. It's so tough. I think, um, to like something that's worth mentioning is if that's happening, if you're working with me or with another dietitian and they're like, Hey, I need you to eat more. (laughs) Um, and you're like, I hear you. I understand why and where you're coming from, but like, I can't get past the fear of weight gain or I can't get past, the fear of the unhealthiness, quote unquote, of that food of from what I've heard, you know, the carnivore guy who stands naked in the grocery aisle talk about um, on social media, you know, and demonizing these foods. 
if that's the case, if you're like, I just can't implement this, even though I know it's sound advice, like then it would be a really good idea to work with a therapist Mm -hmm. and to maybe seek treatment for that disorder. Um, And I'm not saying it's a diagnosed eating disorder, but that definitely is a really big barrier for a lot of people who do have disordered eating or who don't fall under a specific category. Um, So, you know, if you're like, I hear you, I want to do it. I'm a little scared, but I'm willing to do it. How do I do it? Um, I have a couple different tools that I'll use. I mean, I have some people who come to me and they're super math minded. Um, I like to kind of distinguish the difference between being data driven versus being data disordered. Um, You know, again, are you using the data for good and to eat more and to accomplish your goals and to think about it in abundance versus using the data to be restrictive or self-sabotaging or obsessive? but I'll have people who come to me and they're like, I have an Excel spreadsheet of everything that I ate and it is itemized down to the micronutrient. And this is just how my brain works because maybe I'm an engineer or maybe I'm super math driven. Yeah. For that person, I might say, okay, this is your goal, you know, for this particular food. Um, I'm noticing from what you've logged that maybe we could bulk up like lunch or snacks or, you know, change certain areas of your day. And these are the foods that we can plug and chug into that to make the math work out and see how you feel. Um, that's rare. (laughs) Um, a lot of people are not robots. Um, so, you know, for my other folks who are a bit more in the middle, um, I do have a lot of like visuals of like, this is how I want you to structure your plate. And this is how like using visuals, like how many decks of cards or how many baseball size servings of rice, like we're going to use maybe a little bit of measuring, but you know, this is where I need you to add in these foods into your day. When I, again, kind of like I said before about looking at a food and seeing numbers, it's my job. So I can look at someone's food logs, even if they're sending me pictures of their meals or they're just typing out what they ate and it's not any type of like food log that's hooked up to numbers. Um, I see numbers when I see the food. So, you know, I can kind of tell if it's adequate or if it's maybe not adequate and give them just some examples of things to plug and chug that they like, um, that's realistic for them, that they're actually going to try to eat and see how it goes from there. I feel like that makes a lot of sense. So one question, obviously protein is huge for athletes. Like, you know, we're going out, pushing our muscles really hard. They're breaking down and then they need that protein to really rebuild. So obviously supplements is a huge industry, but also like using supplements correctly, like using a protein powder correctly. Like what is kind of your advice on that? Like, should we be adding it to say like muffins or adding it, like having these shakes, but also to the point where we're not just, that's not the only source of protein we're consuming. Yeah. A really good um, thing about protein is like, you do want to get a variety of protein sources. So you're going to get a variety of amino acids if you do that, which are the building blocks of protein. We do need all of them, you know, to thrive, so to speak. Um, so a variety can be good. So if you are someone who is getting all their protein from protein supplements, or especially if it's like all the same protein supplements with the same type of protein, or if you're getting all your protein from that chicken breast with the broccoli and the rice in the containers, and you don't deviate from that, that could be problematic. Um, but yeah, I kind of see two camps here. I see people who are not getting enough protein, not even close. Um, 
usually these people aren't getting enough of anything, to be honest. They're not getting enough carbs either, and they're under eating in general. Um, and I also see people who have been told by some of these macro counting coaches who are usually not licensed professionals, and actually that's illegal to give them any kind of macronutrient breakdown for an individualized meal plan, unless you're a licensed dietitian. Um, happens all the time. But Or I see people who have worked with someone like that, a lot of the times they're coming from maybe a CrossFit style gym or some sort of like bodybuilding background where, yeah, having that body composition or that type of workout, it would be important to have a significant amount of protein. And these people have been told, hey, you need 50% of what you're eating to come from protein. Um, you need, you know, 200 grams of protein. And they're like, oh my God, this is so hard to achieve. And I'm so full from eating all this protein because like I said at the beginning, protein digests super slow. So that keeps you full that I can't possibly get in all the carbohydrates that I need. So they could be, you know, meeting their calorie goals, but the the macronutrient breakdown is all wrong for what they're trying to achieve. Um, so for that person, you know, the emphasis would be a little bit different. Um, but I mean, I think a lot of athletes probably fall somewhere in the middle where what we know from newer research, a review that came out like three years ago, um, is that actually we thought previously that endurance athletes were on the lower end of protein needs, but we're seeing that a lot of them may actually benefit from a bit more than we thought, like maybe not as much as like a strength focused athlete, like a, like a thrower, you know, in track and field of sorts or a football player. But, you know, they're a little bit higher than we originally thought, especially master's athletes who are over 40. Um, so, you know, if it's challenging to get your protein in just with food, um, supplements can be super helpful. And I don't necessarily, I'm not like anti-supplement. Um, I like to get it from food first if we can, because your body knows what to do with that. And it's a little better regulated <laughs> um, than supplements are. But a high quality supplement can definitely go a long way. Oh, what should kind of we be aiming for on the amount of protein we're consuming every day? And should it be consistent even on our rest days? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so obviously the total amount depends on the person and their goals and their size and um, their age. But I never, I mean, typically I'd recommend somewhere between like 20 and maybe 30% of total calories coming from protein. Um, so definitely maybe less than what you might've heard if you are like in a CrossFit kind of environment, or maybe more than what you would have heard from just general healthy nutrition recommendations where it's like very, very low. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of the ballpark of what I would recommend. Obviously you need to be eating enough calories in general for those percentages to work out. What we know in research from like protein dosing is that consuming like 20 to 40 gram doses, like three to five times per day. So like kind of throughout the day periodically is what's going to be the most beneficial from like a protein muscle synthesis standpoint. So like gains, <laughs> building muscle mass, repairing your muscle tissue after a workout. Um, so it's not really about, oh, I need to hit like all my protein in like two meals. No, we really need to like spread it out throughout the day um, and getting it in those kind of 20 to 40 gram doses is going to probably have the most positive um, outcome for you. So, you know, kind of looking at that, then you can start to put together, you know, meals that helps you visualize 
what that looks like. Um, cause I know what 20 to 40 grams of protein looks like, but someone might be like, I have no idea what that looks like. So, um, you know, it can be helpful to dissect it from there. So let's dissect a little bit before we start to wrap up eggs. They're good sources of protein, but I think a lot of people, when they actually find out that it's really only seven grams of protein mm-hmm. and that after a really hard workout, you're having two eggs, that's only 14 grams. So in that case, like, what can we be pairing it with? Should we be eating more eggs? Because then I feel like a lot of people, especially around eggs, it's like, well, what about my cholesterol? Like, will that go up? And I think there's just a lot there. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other end of the spectrum is what if I'm vegan Mm -hmm. and I don't eat animal products? Um, So yeah, protein can come from a lot of places. So a lot of the times your most like bang for your buck from a volume standpoint is going to come from animal products. It's going to be like your eggs, your um, dairy products, your chicken breast, you know, red meat, pork, um, turkey, those types of things, fish, um, protein supplements. And it also can come from more complex foods, um, which is typically where your plant-based, you know, people will be getting their protein from. So there's protein in beans and lentils and nuts and seeds, um, you know, and tofu and soy-based products. There's also other things in those foods, um, like carbohydrates and fiber and fat, you know, but that's where a lot of their protein's coming from. So um, if you are you know, getting it from animal-based products. I see this all the time. That's why I think a lot of people were like, I need to only eat chicken breasts because there's no fat, there's no fun, and there's nothing in there but protein. Um, And it's like easy to cook. But, you know, then I see a lot of people, you know, this is like a whole other podcast, but like with iron deficiencies, because while they're not consuming iron-rich protein sources, or they're just having mineral imbalances in general, which is affecting their like iron status in their body because they're not really consuming a lot of seafood or a lot of red meat or a lot of pork or things with different mineral profiles than chicken breast. Um, for cholesterol, I know a lot of people are concerned about eggs. Um, typically, like we don't really see dietary cholesterol affecting blood cholesterol like we thought we did um, several decades ago. It's more about your saturated fat intake. So like your butters, your um, like, you know, the fat on the animal product and those types of things. And your just maybe lack of fiber intake plus genetics that can contribute to cholesterol rather than, oh, there's cholesterol and egg yolks. Um, you know, so that's good news. But yeah, if you're like, okay, two eggs and like a piece of toast is what I would typically do after a run. Is that enough? No, (laughs) it's not. Um, For most people, it's probably not, you know, especially if we're talking like a bigger workout, you know, you might be needing three eggs and three pieces of toast or two pieces of toast and some fruit, or maybe the eggs and toast are fine, but you need to do like a smoothie on the side because it's hard for you to get in all that food. So drinking, it's going to be easier. So there's a lot of ways we could look at it. Yeah. I mean, I find it fascinating. And I'm also going to plug your micronutrient series. It was really fascinating because I loved how you just broke, like, you're like, let's talk about magnesium. Let's talk about um, iron. And it was just so nice to see it. So definitely check out the micronutrient series because I feel like sometimes those micronutrients we're not paying enough attention to. And Mm -hmm. the macros get all the flair, but those micronutrients really do help us with that. So one of my final questions before we're just going to talk about foods in general that we love, um, how does food affect our sleep? Like if we're 
eating well and feeling well, like, will that have an impact on our sleep? Do you think we'll sleep better? And then that leads into the whole, we'll recover better too. Yeah. And this kind of ties into like a lot of my main takeaways from the micronutrient series on my podcast is that if you're not eating enough in general, like if you're not getting enough total calories, you're not getting enough, probably micronutrients because what has micronutrients food. (laughs) And if you're not eating enough of it, you're probably deficient in other areas. And it's not just about calories. Um, yes, you can supplement to cover your bases, but that doesn't really work long-term is what we see for the most part. Um, so in terms of sleep, like if you're not eating enough in general, that can absolutely affect sleep. Um, one of the body's defense mechanisms, if that's happening is to keep you awake, to search for food. Um, you might not be thinking that at two in the morning when you're lying there awake, like, gee, I should, I should search for food. Um, but you're awake wondering why. (laughs) So, um, you know, that can be really frustrating because a lot of the times I'll talk to athletes who are like in marathon training and they're really tired, but they can't sleep. Um, and that could be because you're not eating enough. So your body doesn't feel like it can rest and truly recover overnight. Um, because under fueling is basically a source of stress. Training is a source of stress. You know, if you've got other life stuff going on, that can be a source of stress. So if that's all kind of compiling, you're not going to sleep super well. Um, so by eating enough, And by making sure you're not having any huge gaps or deficits in your diet, um, that can promote better sleep. And if you are eating like kind of periodically in a regular pattern throughout the day, you're not like not eating, not eating, not eating, not eating, eating your whole cabinet, you know, when you get home and then you're really full when you go to bed, you know, those types of patterns matter as well for sleep patterns. There's so much I could, I have so many questions about other stuff, but that's like 10 more podcasts. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> Next time. Well, um, Cause I feel like food, there's just so much. And I know for like for us and for the brunch running community, it's really important like that food is fuel. And that was like a big part of even for us establishing the community was where we all want to sweat together. We all want to eat together afterwards. And that's really important because you need to eat. Um, so speaking of foods, I'm going to play a little um, little game. And you're going to tell us about some of your favorite foods, pancakes or waffles? Oh, pancakes. Any specific kind of pancakes? Okay. So there is a story here. Um, <laughs> if you like ask my husband or anyone I've ever eaten breakfast with, I'll be like, we got to go to this new breakfast place. It sounds so amazing. And what do I get at every breakfast place I go to? Blueberry and chocolate chip pancakes. Like both of them together. Um, and it's usually a joke because they'll usually overthink it that I ask for both blueberries and chocolate chips in my pancakes and they'll only put one. So it's like, it's something that I do a lot at home and then I want to go order it at restaurants, but they never get it right, but it's still really good. So that would be my (laughs) go-to. Okay. We are now best friends because I, that was my dinner last night. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So good. It's so good. So good. I like, and I like doing the frozen blueberries because then the pancakes get a little purple and I'm like, it's perfect. That's the best. Um, Yes. Um, perfect. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I don't even know. (laughs) Coffee, iced or hot? Iced. Like even in the dead of winter in New Hampshire, when my hands are going to fall off holding the cup (laughs) iced. (laughs) What's your favorite distance to run? Um, I really like racing like the half marathon best. Um, 
I don't know, like it's it's still long and I think I'm like a better, slower twitch kind of person when it comes to running. Like 5Ks in the mile like are terrifying to me. Um, but it's not so long with the training that it takes over your whole life. Um, so I really like the half marathon. Just going out and running like a distance like during the week, probably like six miles is my favorite to just go easy run. What's the coolest place you've ever traveled to for a race or a runcation? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, that's a tie. So I recently um, did a Ragnar trail relay race in Zion in Utah. And that was really cool. Um, to be honest, the race itself was was cool. Um, I think it had to do with the runner that I was. Um, I was given the legs and like pretty much all of my legs were at night, which was fine, but I didn't really get to see anything <laughs> um, like during my runs. Like the descriptions were like, this leg is beautiful. You'll get to hike and it's the most beautiful view of the whole race. And I'm like, can't see anything. It's dark. Um, kind of just want to get back because I'm a little scared to be out here in the dark. But the rest of the trip, we stayed and we did a lot of like hiking and running in other locations like Flagstaff and the Grand Canyon. And it was really epic. And then kind of tied with that was the year before with kind of the same group of, group of people, we went to Colorado. Um, I had never seen the Rocky Mountains before. And I was like a four-year-old on Christmas. I was like, whoa, like, what are those? Like, we don't have those in New Hampshire. We just have these dinky little 4,000 footers that I thought were mountains. And now I'm like rethinking everything. So that was also really beautiful, especially Leadville. I love Leadville. Leadville so much. It's so pretty up there. Mm -hmm. It's such a cute town. And there's so much running yeah. and hiking up there. Like, you have to like stay up there for a while so you can acclimate to it because we were like, we're going to go for so many runs and then we'd make it in like two miles and be like, so this is going to be a hike, not a run. <laughs> no oxygen. Oh, yeah. It's, and that's a whole nother podcast too. Like, oh my God, I've worked a few athletes and um, we have our races are coming up and I have some people that are coming from sea level up and I'm like, mm. so this is how you need to plan your arrival so that when you do race mm -hmm. and run, like it is because, oh my God, yeah, the oxygen, it took me forever, like a good six months to like fully acclimate. Yeah. Me. Like I got it pretty, like the, I was with my husband and one of our other friends who are both like bigger, like guys. And I think it just, it took them like a little bit longer, definitely to like get the oxygen breathing thing <laughs> happening. Um, I, I could run like by our second day in some of those locations, I was still like, wow, I, I know that I'm like two miles up in the air, but yeah, I want to do the Leadville marathon, but I'm like, I'll have to go a week early just to acclimate. <laughs> or look, yeah, just come up. You can stay out here for the summer. Yeah. Just make a summer out of it. I get why people move there for sure. It's, it's beautiful in Colorado. So I'd probably have to say Colorado. That was probably the coolest. We'll take it. <laughs> So where can our listeners connect with you? Um, they definitely need to go check out the podcast. But any final remarks before we wrap this up that our runners really need to take when it comes to their nutrition and, yeah, just following you in life? Yeah, I think, you know, if you are someone who has a tough relationship with their body image or food, like working on that is one of the best things you can do for yourself because it, it overlaps into so many areas of life. Like if you're under fueled and you're not sleeping well and you're kind of cranky and you're not having a good time out in public or taking pictures or trying on clothes, like it truly overlaps. So, you know, it's something that 
I think we we just think has to be the way it is. And it's definitely something you can work on. So that would be one of my biggest takeaways is if you don't have a great body image or relationship with food, like, hi, I'm Holly. I'm a sports dietitian. I have my master's in eating disorders. I have been working my whole life to help you with that. Um, and there's a lot of other therapists and dietitians too, who specialize in those things to help you. So like your doctor may not always be the resource, even though in the U S we always just want to go to our poor, poor PCPs for everything. Um, and they just, they know a lot of stuff, but they are not specialists in everything. So, um, you know, looking to other members of the healthcare system who do specialize in what you need might be helpful. Thank you, Holly, so much for joining on this episode. Make sure to check out Holly's podcast, the Holly Field Nutrition Podcast, and give her a follow on Instagram at Holly Field Nutrition. Thank you. See you next week.